And it's great to have you here on this uh, chilly day for worship this morning. You guys are brave. I got to commend you for coming out here this morning. You guys are brave. You know, we don't mess around here in Minnesota. We're tough, right? Nothing's going to keep us from getting to worship. So thanks for joining us this morning. And uh, we're going to have a great morning together. Uh, you guys might be wondering what I got in my hand here this morning. Well, unfortunately, both of our teams, the Vikings and the Packers, didn't do too great this past week. And, uh, but, you know, we are still celebrating our own Lombardi Trophy here at Lakes Free. We just finished our Lakes Free uh, Men's Fantasy Football Leagues. And so uh, this morning I've got a couple trophies to present to our two champions. This year uh, we had our youth pastor, Justin Otto, as well as Ron Tim uh, win our uh, championship. So, if you, uh, Ron, why don't you come on up and uh, we'll pass off his trophy. Give him a big round of applause. Congratulations. <laughs> we'll trade <laughs> He said he'd trade it for a 27-yard field goal. So, yeah. <clears throat> I'd trade it for a defense. But uh, anyway, a uh, couple, uh, couple announcements to share with you this morning. First of all, I just want to remind you that uh, during the month of January, we have our ABF elective classes happening. I know some of you were already at those this morning. But uh, if you haven't visited those elective opportunities, we've got some great classes going on this month during both hours, and so uh, you can still take advantage of those in the coming weeks if you like. Also, too, want to mention our ticket sales out in the foyer for our upcoming Worldview Apologetics Conference. We have a really awesome conference coming here to Lakes Free the end of February. We're bringing in three just top-notch Christian apologists, defenders of the Christian faith, who are going to be talking about a whole host of just really awesome, relevant issues, why we can believe what we believe as Christians. Uh, David Wheaton, who's a former professional tennis player, he now has a ministry called The Christian Worldview. He's on a national radio uh, show broadcast all over the country. Uh, he's going to be here with us. He's actually going to broadcast his radio show from our uh, church sanctuary Saturday morning. So we're going to be able to be a part of that. And then uh, Charlie Campbell is the president of a ministry in California, Always Be Ready. His website, alwaysbeready.com, is an excellent resource filled with just tremendous uh, apologetic resources. So if you have questions about your faith, I'd encourage you to check that out. And then Reuben David, uh, tremendous speaker. He's an Indian Christian from the nation of India. He uh, worked with Chuck Colson and Chuck Colson's Wilberforce Forum top-notch scholar who's going to be coming talking about culture, world religions. So we're going to have a great weekend, Friday night, Saturday morning with these guys. Tickets are open to the public starting tomorrow, okay? We're anticipating that we're going to sell out this event. So if you want to come and you want to guarantee yourself a seat, make sure to get your ticket here this morning because uh, once we start uh, opening these up to the other churches in our area, um, they'll go fast. So it's going to be a great time. Also, too, want to invite you to come out and join us Sunday afternoon, January 31st. We're going to be showing a really terrific movie called The Dropbox here at Lakes Free that Sunday morning. Now, this is an open Sunday. There's no playoff games that Sunday. It's right before the Super Bowl. It's that open weekend. So 4 o'clock, come on out and join us. This is a really incredible movie about uh, somebody who really gave it all for the sake of the least of these. Uh, un unwanted, abandoned children who uh, uh, a pastor in Korea rescued, and it's just a really incredible movie. So uh, come out and join us for that, 4 o'clock, Sunday, January 31st. 
You also notice on the back of your worship guide, Pastor Rick notes that we have a congregational meeting today. If you are a member here of Lakes Free, we want to invite you to join us right after this service. We're going to have a brief meeting, 20 minutes max, uh, looking at, well, I, I should, probably shouldn't promise that, but it's going to be a briefer meeting than normal. And uh, all of our members for sure and anybody else who's interested, we're going to give some updates on some of the recent happenings here at the church. All good news, and uh, we'd encourage you to come out and be a part of that with us following this service. You're going to notice here in your worship guide uh, a special insert. We have the Gideons International with us here this morning. And I'm going to introduce uh, Dan Phelps to you here uh, after our time of worship. But uh, take a look through that as we go, and then you're going to get to hear more about the Gideons, a terrific ministry, in a few minutes. So in the meantime, why don't you stand up, meet someone, greet someone around you, and we will continue on in our time of worship.
I was recalling um, a little bit of my childhood over this week and remembering one of my ultimate favorite songs growing up. And the person who wrote that song, who many of you probably know as Fanny Crosby, um, were singing Blessed Assurance. And I wonder sometimes if Fanny ever knew the depth of what her words were going to mean even 150 years later from when the time that she wrote that song with her friend Phoebe. And um, just how relevant that the words of that song are still today. Um, it reflected a lot of what Crosby's walk of faith was really like. And it was expressed by the Apostle Paul in Philippians 121, which states, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And as we sing this song, I want you to just meditate on the words because I know Jason's going to be preaching a little bit later about hope. Um, but this song clearly uh, spells out hope in the, the fact that we can have complete assurance when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Blessed assurance, Jesus is Just of God. 
so much, worship team. You may be seated. As I mentioned uh, earlier this morning, we've got a special guest with us today, uh, a representative from Gideon's International. Dan Phelps is here, and uh, we are privileged to have Dan with us. The Gideons are a tremendous ministry uh, distributing Bibles all over the world, and I'm, gonna let, I'm not going to steal all of his thunder. I could talk about the Gideons all day. I'm a big fan of the Gideons, but uh, Dan, why don't you tell us about your ministry, and let's give Dan a big warm uh, Lakes Free welcome this morning. Thank you, Pastor. You know, I, I think I've been a Gideon for about 25 to 27 years. The first testimony that I ever shared in a church service like this was from a missionary to the Philippines. And the missionary had written to say that when he went to the field, he would come to a home to share the gospel with the people there. And they would say, wait a minute, and they would go back into their house and they'd come out holding a Gideon New Testament that had been placed there. And it had made his work so much easier because he had a basis of faith to begin with. Um, I was going to share with you 25 years ago, or I'm sorry, 100, more than 100 years ago, the first Bibles were placed in a hotel in Superior, Montana. Today, the USA needs the Word of God more than ever because every two of every three people you meet on the street does not know Jesus Christ as their personal savior. The, oh, let's see here, I gotta find my note. I always use a, a crib sheet for some of this stuff and it's not always helpful. There are Gideon Bibles being placed in schools and colleges hospitals and medical facilities, jails and prisons, to the military, to fire and police, and of course, in hotels and motels. Another testimony from the Philippines was probably from about 2000. Eddie was a Gideon that was about to make a, a distribution in a school in the, to one of the teachers. He was greeted, and the teacher said, wait a minute, Wait a minute, I and mean, she reached into her purse and pulled out a testament that she had received in 1985. And this testament was badly beaten up, worn, you could tell it had been used countless times to witness for Christ, and many souls had come to a saving knowledge of Jesus because of that. And so, yes, she was excited to let the Gideons come in and make that distribution to the students in the Philippines. Today, I want to take you to the Philippines to see how the work is going forward today in the Philippines. But before I do that, I want to thank you, because without our partnership with you, those Bibles would never reach the foreign field. Those testaments would never reach our school kids. Souls wouldn't be reached if it wasn't for the, the gifts from churches just like yours in America. And now we have become the mission field, and they have become the senders. Thank you so much for having the Gideons here again today to share this ministry, and if they'll cue up that video, we'll watch it together. God is so good. In the Philippines right now, we are uh, very much blessed to have a country where the uh, distribution lanes for the Gideons is uh, very much open. What we are doing there right now is letting them understand the need of a Savior and the real relationship with the Lord. 
that we know the intention of the Lord that uh, we have to win souls for Him because this is the main purpose of the Gideon ministry in which we are going to bring men and women, boys and girls to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. My country is really doing great that aspect as witnessing and going forward to distribute God's Word. Most schools, you would uh, expect uh, teachers to uh, request you even to share what you're doing and even share to the children the God's plan of salvation at the back of the testament that we are giving out. In the Philippines, it is a great privilege that public school system or public schools are inviting teachers for the values and we are teaching Bible. In the Gideon ministry, we not only serve but we are served back. The Gideon ministry, it's about winning souls. Many people, they need to know our Lord Jesus Christ in order for their lives to be transformed and be saved and to find the real peace in their hearts. Dan, we want to thank you and all the other members of the Gideons. We have a number of them here in our church, and we appreciate the ministry you have in helping to get the Word of God out to people all over, not only in our community, but really all over the world. So thanks for being with us. This morning, uh, you may have seen, we have an insert in your worship guide. You can read more there about the Gideons if you want more information. There's also an envelope in that, uh, in that bulletin with, uh, uh, if you'd like to send a donation to the Gideons, you can do that. We're also going to be having an exit offering here this morning on our way out after the service today. So if you'd like to leave a special gift here today for the Gideons, our ushers will be at the back door uh, at the end of our service. So uh, this morning, we're going to uh, continue now with our regular church offering. So I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward in a minute to receive that. And uh, if you would, why don't you join me? Let's bow our head in a word, word of prayer. Ask a blessing on the offering and the Gideons and then our message here in a few minutes. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just uh, grateful for the chance to have a friend like Dan and the Gideons here with us this morning, and we just pray that you would continue to bless that ministry. We thank you, Lord, for the millions of Bibles that have been passed out all over the world through the Gideons, and we just want to uh, thank you, God, for doing a great work through them. And I just pray, Lord, that you might inspire some of us here today to participate in that work by, by giving to that ministry here. And uh, we just uh, are grateful, Lord, for the chance to help advance the Word of God throughout the world. Lord, we also want to thank you for the great things happening here at our church and the the many ways that you've blessed us. We thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness to us and the really the good things happening here ministry-wise, the lives that are being touched and, and uh, discipleship that's taking place from, from all ages, children through adults. And, and uh, so, Lord, we're just uh, grateful to, uh, to be your servants here in this community. And this morning, as we bring our offerings to you, Lord, we, we do this with thanksgiving, we do this with gratefulness, and uh, we just uh, entrust, Lord, that these, uh, we entrust these gifts to you and ask that you would use them to uh, help advance the, the name of Jesus and the message of the gospel uh, here in our own community and all over the world. Lord, uh, as we open up your word here in a few minutes, I just pray that you would illuminate the scriptures for us today. 
and uh, that your Holy Spirit would uh, speak to us, Lord, that you would inspire uh, the words that I share with my friends and, and give us new insights, Lord, into who you are and uh, what is just so special and remarkable about Jesus Christ. And uh, I thank you, Lord, for this uh, study in Hebrews that we've been in. And, and I just really pray, God, that uh, today we, we might even just begin to scratch the surface uh, of the depths of the, the full knowledge of who you are and that we might uh, leave here today inspired with a grander vision of our great King and Priest, Jesus Christ. So we commit the rest of this time to you now, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hope is here, and his name is Jesus. What a great message that is. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you have ever been to the Grand Canyon? Let's see a show of hands. Have you been to the Grand Canyon? We got a picture of it here on the screen this morning. Uh, what an incredible place. One of the natural wonders of the world. It's an incredible uh, sight if you ever have a chance to go and visit the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon at its widest point is 18 miles across. Absolutely incredible. Now, I want to uh, get you to imagine with me this morning that uh, let's say that after our service, Pastor Rick says, you know what, at our business meeting today, he says, you know, we're going to go on a church field trip together to visit the Grand Canyon out in Arizona. That'd be pretty cool, huh? Uh, especially on a day like today when it's freezing outside. I'd sign up for that trip. Well, Pastor Rick decided, hey, we're going to take you out to the Grand Canyon in Arizona, and we're going to go on a church trip. And so we head out there together, and we are standing there on the edge of the of the Grand Canyon overlooking this incredible scene. And as we're staring there admiring the, the view, Pastor Ricky says, hey, I got a great idea. Let's see who can jump the farthest across the Grand Canyon. And we're all kind of thinking, I don't know if that's such a great idea. Pastor Rick, no, we can do this. Let's do this. It'll be fun. We'll have a great, we'll have a blast. And so, so we're like, well, how about you go first, Pastor Rick? And so, uh, so Pastor Rick, you know, he goes, all right, well, I'm going to go first. So he steps back a few feet and he gets a running start and he's going to go for this. And so he goes and he jumps off the ledge and he goes flying 10 feet out over the canyon, 10 feet. And all of a sudden, splash, he's in the Colorado River. And now I'm about 20 years younger than Pastor Rick, and I'm thinking, all right, I can top that 10 feet, come on. And so, uh, so I go, and I step back, and I get myself a running start, and I go running off the edge, and I go flying, and I jump, and I go sailing, and I just, I mean, I soared past Pastor Rick's 10-foot mark. I went 15 feet until my momentum stopped, and I'm in the Colorado River. Well, we got a bunch of, you know, young bucks here at our church and uh, strong athletic guys. And, and uh, you know, I'm thinking like Jackson Tim, right? So Jackson Tim, he says, you know what? Pastor Jason, I could beat that 15 feet. That's easy. And so Jackson, he steps back and he gets a running start. And Jackson, he goes flying off the edge of that canyon. He goes sailing out and he soars past Pastor Rick. He soars past my mark. He goes 18 feet until he's swimming in the Colorado River. Friends, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Have you ever thought about what that means? To fall short of the glory of God. You know, the Bible tells us that God's standard of righteousness is infinitely wider than the Grand Canyon. What is righteousness? Righteousness is simply goodness that's good enough for God. Goodness that's good enough for God. And the Bible tells us that God's standard of righteousness is infinitely wider than the Grand Canyon. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So here's the question. If you're gonna try to make that jump and cross that chasm between us and our fallen sinful nature, Romans 3.10 says there's no one righteous, not one. Isaiah 46.6 says all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags in the eyes of a holy God. So the question is, how are you 
going to cross that chasm between us and our fallen sinfulness and God in his perfect righteousness. On what basis are you gonna try to make that jump? Your good works, your sacrifices, your rituals, your money. I mean, what are you gonna do that's good enough to earn the right to stand in the presence of a holy God? See, this is our fundamental problem. And the reality is, friends, if we try to make that jump on our own righteousness, our own good works, our own sacrifices, our own rituals, the money we give, whatever we try to base our jump in, we're all gonna fall short. And friends, I tell you what, it doesn't matter if I can jump farther than you or if she can jump farther than me. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, God and his infinite righteousness, all of our jumps fall woefully short of God's perfect, righteous, holy standards. This is the fundamental problem that all of us face. The problem of access to God. How do we as fallen sinful beings come into the presence of a holy creator God? How do we bridge that chasm? How do we make that jump? This is the fundamental problem that people throughout history have been wrestling with. And this is the fundamental issue that we are addressing here last week and this week here in Hebrews chapter seven. The author of Hebrews chapter seven is arguing that there's no way that any of us can make that jump. But the good news, friends, the good news of the gospel that we see revealed here in Hebrews chapter seven is that God has provided someone who's made that jump for us. We don't have to make that jump. Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect priest king came and he made that jump on our behalf. He bridged that chasm. He crossed that span. He provided us perfect access to come into a relationship with our creator God. And this is the argument of Hebrews chapter seven. If you remember last week, we talked about some of the background of this passage. And if you recall, I shared how the book of Hebrews was really written to Jewish Christians, Hebrew Christians, Hebrews, Jews, who had put their trust in Jesus as the Messiah. But see, 30 some years had gone by between Jesus' resurrection and ascension, and over that span of 30 years, these Hebrew Christians had begun experiencing persecution, and some of them had begun wavering in their faith. They started wondering, have we really put our hope in the right guy? Is Jesus really a sure and secure and stable source of salvation? Or maybe we jumped the gun on this one and we left the Old Testament religious system a little bit too soon. And so some of these Hebrew Christians, it wasn't that they wanted to turn their back on Jesus, but they thought maybe we should do some of that Old Testament temple stuff just to be safe. Right? We can still believe in Jesus, but maybe we should go and see the priest once in a while, and maybe we should go offer a sacrifice occasionally, and we'll do some of that Old Testament religious stuff just to cover all of our bases and make sure we're all good to go. Because they started questioning, was Jesus really enough? And this is the whole point of the author of Hebrews' argument in chapter seven is he wants these Hebrew Christians to recognize, no, don't go back. Jesus is enough. Jesus is sufficient and he's better than any religious system. Don't go back to that stuff. Trust in Jesus. 
And if you recall last week, we began to see this author of Hebrews begin to deal with the question of the priesthood, right? The Jewish people, they thought they needed a priest because the priest provided access between them and God. The priest was the mediator between them and God. And so they started thinking, well, Jesus is gone now. Maybe we need to go to the priest because Jesus is gone. Who's our priest? Who's providing access, right? And so the author of Hebrews last week we began to look at argued that no, in Jesus, God has provided the perfect priest, an ultimate priest, a priest king in the order of Melchizedek, Jesus Christ. He argued there's a better priesthood than the Old Testament Levitical priestly system. There's a better priesthood that supersedes that, a priesthood in the order of Melchizedek. Now today, the author of Hebrews is going to continue his argument, making the case that Jesus is better than the Old Testament religious system that these Jewish Christians had left behind. And he's going to argue today that in Jesus, we have something so much better so much better than religion. In Jesus, we have a better hope. And he's better than religion. Why would you settle for any religion when you can put your hope in Jesus Christ? This is the whole question. How can we gain access to a holy creator God? And this is what the author of Hebrews is going to address today. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 28. And as we begin this morning, I want to start out, I want to read for us verses 11 through 19, because 11 through 19 really highlight the case against the Old Testament priestly system that some of these Jewish Christians were thinking of going back to. All right, so follow along with me here on the screen. The author of Hebrews says, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on it the basis of the law was given to the people, Why was there still need for another priest to come? Now, I want to highlight this word perfection here because it's an important word for us to understand in order to make our case here this morning. The author of Hebrews uses this term perfection, and what's he talking about? What is perfection? Perfection here, friends, simply means access to God. Okay, that's what that word means. It means access to God. So it could really literally read, if access to God could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, remember that's the question, how do we gain access to God? Where do they get access to God from that, right? The Greek word there is teleosis. It means to arrive at a desired end or destination, okay? We translate it perfection in English. It has a couple different connotations, but in reality, what it literally means is arriving at your desired destination or accessing a desired end. So if perfection or access or the desired end that we're seeking could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on it the basis of the law was given, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when there's a change in the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. Remember, we talked about all that last week. The Jews were saying, wait, the priests were supposed to be from the tribe of Levi. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. Maybe he wasn't sufficient, right? And again, he argued last week, there's a better priesthood, the Melchizedek priesthood. It doesn't matter that he wasn't from the tribe of Levi. That's what he's pointing out again. What we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears. One who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. 
For it is declared you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect. There's that word again. The law never provided access to God. It made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. This is an indicting argument, friends, against the Old Testament religious system of the Jews. The author of Hebrews here ends these verses by saying that the Old Testament religious system didn't work. He says it was weak and useless. Friends, them's fighting words. <laughs> your religion, that thing you're putting your hope in to gain access to God, your religion is weak and useless. <laughs> Can you imagine walking up to a, a Muslim today and telling them, hey, your religion is weak and useless? Or a Buddhist, or a Hindu, or a Jewish person, or a Catholic person, or a person from any church background that is putting their trust in their church and their religion over a relationship with Jesus Christ? Can you imagine going up to anyone and saying, your religion is weak and it's useless? Those are fighting words. But friends, the reality is religion is weak and useless. Religion can't do anything for you. And it doesn't matter what religion you're talking. If you're talking a religion in the vein of Christianity or a religion like Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam or the New Age movement, any other source of works or effort or self-righteousness that we perform to try to earn the right to access God falls pitifully short because God's righteousness is the standard. And in his perfection and in his holiness, there is nothing that we could ever do of our own works or effort to bridge that chasm between us and God. And so the author of Hebrews here, he just simply says it like it is to these Jewish people. He says, you want to go back to that? That is weak and it's useless. It's not going to do you any good. Why would you go back to that? And his argument here is that it was weak and useless because, number one, it was only a temporary system. You see, God never intended the Old Testament Levitical religious system to be a permanent system for accessing God. It was always intended to be temporary. The priests were finite. They were fallible human beings like you and I. They lived, they served, they died, and then they needed to be replaced. They were finite. They were temporary. The religious sacrifices were finite and temporary. They were just animals. And an animal, their blood could never fully atone for human blood. It was just a temporary sacrifice, a temporary covering. And so the author of Hebrews says, these things, they, they were weak and they were useless. They did nothing for us to provide access to God. Your religion, friends, okay? You need to understand this. If you're trusting in any religious system today other than a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you think you can do enough good stuff, if you think you can be righteous enough through your serving and the money you give and, and the kind deeds you do for old ladies crossing the street, right? All of that, great, do that stuff, but it's not gonna have any value for you when it comes to crossing that chasm between you and God because the standard is not your good works. The standard is God and his righteousness. So how are you gonna cross that bridge? How are you gonna meet that standard? See, the author of Hebrews here wanted these Jewish Christians to recognize 
that there is something better than religion and something better than the Old Testament religious works that they had been engaged in, that they had putting their trust in, their hope in to gain access to God. There was something better. And that something that he points out to them, friends, is actually a someone. It is Jesus Christ who provides true and full access to God. The author of Hebrews wants these Jewish Christians to recognize that Jesus is better than religion. There's nothing worth going back to in that Old Testament religious system. And he argues here that Jesus is a better hope. Jesus is a better hope. Sounds kind of like a Star Wars movie title, right? Jesus, the better hope, right? But he is, he's a better hope. He offers something so much better than religion. And what we're gonna look at here this morning as we're going to see that the author of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in the remainder of our passage, highlights three reasons why Jesus is a better hope. And friends, I'm telling you, this passage is so, it is so rich. I mean, like, as I was studying this this week, it's like, how do you talk about this in 30 minutes? We could spend weeks talking about this passage because it's so rich. But what we're going to see today is the author of Hebrews says there's a better hope, and that hope is Jesus Christ, and here's why he's better. Because, number one, he's a permanent priest, Number two, he's a powerful priest. And number three, he's a promised priest. We're gonna look at these three arguments this morning. Jesus is a better hope. Number one, the author of Hebrews says he's better because number one, he's a permanent priest. He lives. He's a living priest. Take a look at these uh, verses, Hebrews 7, 16, and 24. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of an indestructible life. Friends, the basis of Jesus' priesthood is that he came, he lived, he was sacrificed, but he conquered the grave. His priesthood is based on an indestructible life. They couldn't hold him. They couldn't kill him. They couldn't stop him. Because he lives. There have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Jesus is a permanent priest because he lives. Friends, Jesus proved his superiority through the power of an indestructible life. Death could not hold him. The grave could not contain him. Jesus lives forever as our eternal priest king. And because of this, Jesus is better. The priests of the Old Testament system, they were finite human beings. They lived, they served, they died, and then they needed to be replaced over and over again. Josephus, the first century Roman historian, he reports that there were actually 83 high priests in the Jewish religion from the time of Aaron until the time of the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. 83 why? Because they were frail. They were finite. That, that exposes the problem. They needed to be replaced. They weren't sufficient in and of themselves. They lived, they died, they served, and then they needed to be replaced. But our high priest, Jesus Christ, the author of Hebrews highlights that he conquered death and he lives forever. He's a permanent priest. And friends, this is why if we trust in him, we need not fear losing our salvation or our access to God or our eternal life in heaven because as verse 25 states, Jesus lives forever and always lives to intercede for his people. 
Jesus, friends, is the eternal bridge. He's the everlasting access giver. He's the permanent priest who lives forever, interceding for his people, and get this, in his permanent priesthood, friends, he applies the very same resurrection power that rose him from the grave to all who put their trust in him. Isn't that incredible? John eleven twenty five through 26, one of my favorite verses from Jesus, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. What a promise, friends. We have eternal life because we have a permanent priest who lived an indestructible life, who lives to intercede for his people. You know, I was thinking about the reality of the eternal life that we have as believers in Christ. And I've been here at Lakes Free for seven years, and I was just thinking this last week of all the just incredible loved ones, brothers and sisters in Christ who have passed away in the last seven years. And uh, so many great people. You know, I was thinking of, you know, Jerry, Dorothy, your, your wife, and I was thinking of people like Wayne Breeden and Phil Nelson and Alex Engelbrecht, Joe Swanson just a little while ago. You know, all these incredible people that we loved and we cared about. And friends, while it's always sad to lose somebody we love, isn't it amazing to know that for all who put their hope in Jesus Christ, death is not the end. The grave is not the final destination. But that in Jesus Christ, our permanent priest, we have the hope of everlasting life because he lives today. He lived an indestructible life. F famous theologian from the 20th century, a guy by the name of Donald Gray Barnhouse, he used to recount a really powerful story uh, the time when his wife had passed away. And he had been driving his daughter to the funeral of his wife and her mother. And uh, as they were driving to the funeral, he was sharing with her from Psalm 23, where David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he goes on in that psalm, David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Dr. Barnhouse's daughter, he said, she said, Dad, what does that mean? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What does that mean? And Dr. Barnhouse was trying to think, how am I going to explain this to my daughter? And while they were driving, they had pulled up to a red light. And as they were sitting there at this red light, again, it was a bright, sunny day outside, a large semi-truck came and pulled up right next to them. And this semi-truck had cast a huge shadow over their whole car. And Dr. Barnhouse he said to his daughter, he said, let me ask you a question. Would you rather be hit by the truck or by the shadow of the truck? And his daughter said, well, I'd rather be hit by the shadow of the truck. And Dr. Barnhouse said, you see, that's what David means. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because you see, friends, Jesus Christ, our perfect priest, he came and he took the hit of death for us. So that we, as Christians, when we place our trust in Jesus Christ, we don't face the hit of death, we face only the shadow of death, but not death itself. This is why the Apostle Paul could literally taunt death in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? 
Friends, what a hope we have in Jesus. We have a permanent priest who lives. And like that famous song says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. What a hope we have in Jesus. Not only is Jesus a permanent priest, but secondly, the author of Hebrews today highlights that number two, Jesus is a powerful priest. He's a powerful priest because he's able. Look at verses 25 through 27. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Friends, as we saw earlier, the Old Testament religious system was weak and useless. Levitical priests, they could never provide true access to God. They couldn't even provide it for themselves. All they could offer was a temporary covering for sin. It was temporary because it was through imperfect sacrifices, but they had to do this over and over and over again. But not Jesus. Look at the very first words of verse 25. He is able. Able to what? To save completely those who come to God through him. Why is Jesus able, friends? It's because as verse 26 highlights, Jesus was a perfect sacrifice. He was holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners. And as a perfect sacrifice, Jesus provides perfect access to God for all who trust in him. Nothing more is needed to have a relationship with God because Jesus himself made the way for us. A number of years ago, my father and I had been invited to teach down in New Zealand. And uh, we were there for three weeks speaking on apologetics and evangelism. And New Zealand's an incredible country. Uh, and it's an interesting country. You know, uh, they love sheep in New Zealand, right? You know about the sheep. Do you know in New Zealand today there are three million people but over 60 million sheep? I mean, it's crazy. They have sheep everywhere. Well, while we were there in New Zealand, we had a really cool opportunity to spend some time staying with uh, a guy who ran a sheep ranch. And while we were there visiting this man at his sheep ranch, he told us a really interesting story. He said, you know, sometimes when the mother ewes are giving birth to the baby lambs, sometimes one of the mother ewes will die while giving birth to a lamb, that lamb will be orphaned. And he explained that oftentimes in the herd somewhere else will find another mother who gives birth to a dead lamb, a stillborn. And so what the ranchers will do is they'll take that little orphan lamb who lost its mother and they'll try to pair it with that mother ewe who lost her baby. But see, the problem is, is that mother ewe, she can smell that that baby is not her lamb. And so she will always kick it away and won't allow it to come and nurse and, and suckle. But you see, the ranchers, they discovered something really incredible. They discovered that if they take that dead, stillborn lamb, if they take that dead, stillborn lamb and cut it open, and they take the blood of that dead lamb and smear it on the coat of that orphan lamb, that when they bring that orphan lamb to that mother who lost her baby, she smells the blood that covers that lamb. And she smells that blood that that is her baby and she will always then allow it to come in 
to nurse and feed. You know, I thought to myself, what a great illustration of our relationship with God. You know, God who is holy, he looks down upon us in our sinfulness. And because of his holiness, we can never come into the presence of God. But because God loved us so very much, he provided the perfect sacrifice, the eternal lamb of God, who came and shed his blood on our behalf, Jesus Christ. And Jesus sacrificed his life on our behalf, shedding his blood to cover us, to provide a perfect covering for our sins so that when God looks down on me, friends, he no longer sees my sin, but he sees the blood of Jesus that covers my sin. And God says, welcome. Come into my arms. You have the right to become a child of God. What a hope we have in Jesus, friends, because he's a perfect priest. The blood of Jesus is able to save anyone who will put their trust in him. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and he will forgive you of your sins and he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And how does he do that? Do that? He does that through the blood of Jesus that covers us and God no longer looks at our sin but he sees the sacrifice of his son that's applied to us. And that gives us the right to come into his presence. Friends, we have a powerful priest. He's a priest who's able to save and he's made a way for us. And here's the thing, you gotta, I gotta ask you this question. Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Because if you haven't put your trust in Jesus Christ, friends, if you're trusting in anything else for your salvation, it's not gonna work. God is the standard. His perfect righteousness is the standard. And it's only through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the covering of his blood that we have the right to come into the presence of our creator, God. Trust in Jesus. Jesus is better. Thirdly, the author of Hebrews argues that not only is Jesus a powerful priest and a permanent priest, but he's a promised priest. He's guaranteed guarantee. Take a look at verses 20 through 22. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Jesus is the guarantee of a better covenant. He's a better hope, friends, because Jesus' priesthood is based on an oath, on the promise of God. God never made an oath to Aaron, friends. His priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, was never meant to be anything more than temporary. But God made an oath to Jesus. Jesus' priesthood is an eternal priesthood. It's a priesthood backed by a promise. And friends, when God makes a promise, you can take it to the bank. Let me ask you, how many of you ever purchased something that came with an extended warranty? Right? Everybody loves a warranty, right? What's a warranty? A warranty is simply a promise. It's a guarantee. About three years ago, my wife and I, we, uh, we purchased an, a Nordic Track elliptical machine from Sears. Right? You can tell how much I've been using it lately, right? We purchased this Nordic Track elliptical from Sears, and when we purchased it, we had the opportunity to buy an extended three-year warranty with it. And so, you know, we spent a little more money and we bought that warranty. And I tell you, it was a great investment. 
my wife, she uses this elliptical all the time, and so the parts start wearing out. You know, you'll get a squeaky, squeaky wheel bearing or, a, you know, the, the magnetic device that causes the resistance kind of starts to wear out. And I'll tell you what, there's been a couple times in the last three years I just call Sears, and within a day, they've got a guy from Nordic Track at my house fixing our elliptical, like good as new. It's great. I mean, who doesn't love a warranty? Now, here's the thing, friends. A three-year warranty is great. Some companies offer lifetime warranties, even better. But Jesus offers something even better than a lifetime warranty. Jesus offers an everlasting lifetime warranty. Jesus' warranty is backed by the promise of God. Friends, do you remember how this whole study on Melchizedek and the priesthood and the access to God, how this whole thing began? Remember where we were three weeks ago when Pastor Rick was in Hebrews chapter 6? And do you remember how Hebrews chapter 6 ends? Let me read it for you, verses 17 through 20. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, his promises and his oaths, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Friends, chapter 6 ended by telling us that God made a promise. He made an oath, and it's impossible for God to lie. And what was his promise? Jesus Christ, the perfect priest with perfect access to God, who is the anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Wow. Friends, do you see how this is all coming full circle now? God made a promise. He goes on, he explains the promise. He reaffirms the fact that God made a promise. Our basis, our hope, access to God, all of it is rooted in God's promise that he was gonna provide a better priest, a better hope. And he says Jesus is that hope. He's the anchor for our soul. What a picture, you know? The anchor of our soul, firm and secure. This week I was driving up on Highway 8, and I turned the corner, and I pulled up behind a car that had a bumper sticker on it, and I'd seen this phrase a million times, but I thought, that's it right there. That's my whole sermon. The bumper sticker read, no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. That's it right there. I could have told you that a half hour ago. We could have gone home, right? <laughs> That's the whole point of the argument of the author of Hebrews in chapter seven. You want peace, you want peace with God, you want access to God. If you don't know Jesus, friends, you're never gonna have that peace. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, and you'll know peace. Righteousness always comes through Jesus Christ. Peace comes through righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ. You know Jesus, you'll know peace. And I hope you know Jesus, friends, because he's a permanent priest, and he's a powerful priest, and he's a priest who's backed by the promise of God. And there's nothing better than Jesus Christ. Let me close in a word of prayer.
Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the incredible truths that you've given us here in the book of Hebrews. And I just pray, Lord, that we might leave here today with some new and fresh insights into just how remarkable your son, Jesus Christ, truly is. And Lord, I thank you for what you've done for us, Lord, the sacrifice you've provided for us. And I thank you, Jesus, that we have the hope of an eternal priest who always lives to intercede for his people. And because of him, we have the promise of eternal life. We have the assurance of salvation. Lord, I'm so thankful for, for what you've given me in my life. I'm thankful for what you've given my friends here who have put their trust in you. And, and Lord, I just pray if there is anybody here this morning who hasn't yet put their trust in you, maybe they're still trusting in some religion or some church they belong to or the good works they've performed. Lord, I, just, I pray that you would convict them right here and right now and help them to see that those works of righteousness are worthless, that they can't do anything to save us and that it's only by the blood of Jesus and receiving the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ by faith that we have access to God. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here this morning who needs to receive that gift, maybe for the first time, that they might just say a simple prayer and invite you into their heart and acknowledge their need for a Savior, and that even today they might know for the very first time that they are a child of God, that their salvation is firm and secure because you are the anchor of our soul. Thank you, Jesus, for these powerful words in the book of Hebrews. In your name we pray, amen. Let me leave you with this benediction from Romans chapter 15. And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.